Red Star Radio, voice of the revolution. I call him the socialist slash communist. See, it's no in between. You're either free or you're a slave. I am a revolutionary, and I am a proletarian. Y a la patria libertó con sus hombres dignamente. Que viva Fidel, que viva Fidel, que viva Fidel y la bandera cubana. What's going on, everyone? You're listening to Red Star Radio. From Bach to the Saigon Delta, from the Taiga to the British Seas, the best leftist podcast in the interwebs. What's going on? I'm Evan. With me is Dan Man. Hello. And Sergio. Hey, sup? So we just had our 500 subscriber special Woo. video on YouTube. We yeah. hit 500. We're at 550 now. And we read some reactionary comments. That's funny. Or comments from leftists that were just sadly mistaken. Pretty much. Very sadly mistaken. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then it's funny. So we we made that video, and then as soon as I put it out, Sexy makes another video about his whole uh, anti ID poll crusade. He, he was the last comment. He, oh, he's yeah. like a he's a Marxist YouTuber in England. He has uh, four times as many subscribers as us, so it's kind of a big deal. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I hope, he, I hope he credited us in that ID poll video. Considering we're, the, we're we're clearly the inspiration. No, we weren't. <laughs> I was uh, really hoping we were. <laughs> that makes us feel so insignificant in this uncaring universe. Mm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Anyway, so for today, um, thought we'd talk about uh, imperialism because we just lost one of the great comrades of the 20th century. Fidel Castro. I went to Cuba when I was younger, so um, mostly just was mostly just a gringo at the at the resort there. But uh, I did get to see Cuba a little bit, just not uh, the cool mm-hmm. part in Havana or anything. But uh, yeah, I've been there once, and um, yeah, I didn't get to see uh, Comrade Fidel or anything like that. But um, I have met Mariela Castro. She's uh, the daughter of Raul, the Fidel's brother. So, yeah, yeah, because um, she does work for the uh, LGBT community in Cuba, kind of working to, you know, re- reverse uh, the oppression that has been done under the Castro regime to kind of uh, are, are turning things around in terms of LGBT liberation. And so um, Mariela came up to Toronto for our um, Pride Week one year when we had this whole World Pride thing that the whole world was supposed to come here for it. And um, she was uh, invited to speak by the Ontario Federation of Labor. So 
I got to meet her, take a picture with her, so that was pretty cool. That's pretty awesome. Right. Nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, did you guys closest hear what, thing, uh, too. Did you guys hear what Colin Kaepernick said about Castro? He was in Miami, uh, I think. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like a couple, Ooh. a few weeks before. If you're on our socialism, you probably know about it, because it was on the yeah, yeah. page kind of a few days ago. Um, uh, what was happening again? Well, he he was just in Miami, I th- probably just for a game, I'm, I'm sure, or some sort of press well, conference. Well, not only that, but this guy's so badass. He wore this... Um, T-shirt of Malcolm X and Fidel okay. Castro in Miami for a press conference. Like oh, yeah. that takes balls, <laughs> right? Yeah, and uh, I mean, unfortunately, I couldn't go because Miami is six hours away from where I live. So it's just like, and plus, I didn't know he was coming. I would, I would totally have gone if he was closer. Um, but anyway, yeah, um, I think I remember him saying, like, they were talking about, like, you know, oh, well, do you support Castro's oppressive regime, rah, 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 and I was like, that was, that was like all the press. The uh, whole thing with Miami is a lot of them, by the way, from my recall, that they were Cuban bourgeoisie or, like, a lot of them have ties to the mafia and all that bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, you look at Cuba under the Batista regime, and it was just completely shit. Like, you can make arguments that Al Castro did was continue dictatorship, but if that was the case, at least conditions were better under his dictatorship than Batista's. Um, considering Dan's an anarchist, you might consider it a bit of a moot point, but, like, everyone, like, with half a brain would realize that the cast was ultimately better than the U.S. backed despot. In fact, most U.S. backed despots, like um, Islamic uh, totalitarian states in the Gulf or like Latin American dictatorships uh, through Operation Condor pretty much fucked over a lot of people. It's actually kind of funny. If you look at the early reaction to Castro and Cuba, the Americans were actually positive about him. Largely because Castro's interests were initially, I think, just more anti-imperialist self-determination and all that. But ironically, American paranoia about losing one of their colonies actually drove him more and more to be Soviet-aligned. So, you did it. Your fault. I think he had had Marxist views the whole time. I don't think he was Soviet-aligned until much later. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Because, you know, like at that time, there were like Marxists were split because of the Khrushchev regime. Yeah, he was kind of driven into the arms of Khrushchev. Yeah, the Americans were hoping he'd be like Tito. They even hoped now would be like Tito. But then the Bay of Pigs happened, and what are you going to do? Pretty much. And then another thing is people like to... Um, one of the things they're saying is that uh, uh, reactionaries is that they blame Castro for the Cuban Missile Crisis. Like, as if the U.S., was just like, oh no, you're putting missiles near me. Oh, why did you do that? What what could have caused the Soviet Union to do that? Oh, I don't know. Maybe because uh, the U.S. had missiles pointed at the Soviet Union. In Turkey. And if Turkey had anything in charge, we know they would just have launched all of them to Armenia and not to Moscow. And not, yes. and not only and not only that, I'm... I'm pretty I'm, sure I, the, yeah. the, the Turkish government I would have also then just started nuking everyone else they didn't like with them in the immediate vicinity. Yeah. And then all those nukes they had deployed in France would have probably just gone to England to settle a millennia-old feud. <laughs> Fun yeah. fact. Not only that, but um, I'm 
I try to read about um, every worker state that has existed throughout the 20th century and stuff like that. And I'm on Korea right now. Did you know they actually, the U.S. actually was the first one to violate the Korean armistice because they wanted to put a nuke in South Korea? Pretty much. They do blame Stalin for starting the war, though, but, like, you know, whoever starts the war, we also have to look into the political aspect of it, too. That's that's total bullshit anyways. But, um, yeah, like, they broke the Korean armistice by trying to get a, a nuke in South Korea, and how close is that to the Soviet Union? That's almost the equivalent of putting a, a nuke in Cuba, pretty much. So it's funny how, you know, it's so outrageous when Soviets do it. That's what happened, and I thought we'd use this uh, opportunity to talk a little bit more about imperialism, since it's something that's always relevant. So when we talk about, um, when we use the term imperialism, um, Marxists, and specifically uh, Leninists, have a specific meaning of the term. And it has a lot of uh, economic connotations. Um, the primary thing to read about this is, of course, Lenin's Imperialism, the Highest Stage of Capitalism. It's a book that Lenin wrote during World War One, And it basically explains how World War One was an inter-imperialist conflict. Now, this is um, something that some people might be surprised by. Like, uh, you know, that World War One was about first world countries um, invading uh, some third world country, but uh, if, if you look at the consequences of it, that's, it's pretty clear that that's uh, the kind of thing that was on their mind. I mean, uh, the Balfour Declaration and the, um, the Lutz, the, the Sykes-Picot borders and all the things that started ha happening in the Middle East, those, those can be traced all the way back to the Great War. Um, but more specifically, uh, Lenin wrote about imperialism as an economic phenomenon. Um, basically what happens is under capitalism, you know, you have firms that have to compete with each other and they always have to be making more and more money because, you know, they have private investors. That's how it works. There always has to be more profits, the, the size of the company, the size of the profits always has to be growing. And so what happens is the logical extension of this is um, companies get bigger, they buy out other companies, they push other companies out of the market, they want to be the biggest. Um, the consequence of capitalist competition is to eliminate competition so that so that because that's that's what's best for business if there's only one company that completely dominates everywhere and what happens is they get to be so big that they basically become monopolies when they have the whole domestic market cornered pretty much um, ironically though enough uh, a monopoly previously a monopoly would actually be like extremely bad for business unless like marginal returns were to be extremely constant but unfortunately yeah. it, if there's anything we learned it's that it's like capitalists don't exactly think rationally to the market as, as much as we think they do uh, because they're usually blinded by what it seems to be short-sighted profit motif and like they're just going to want to go on and on and on even when it's unfeasible even when you know they need government aid to keep on going but yeah. uh, they're, they're still going to lobby the government to 
pretty much do things in their favor <laughs> and just grow to like some sort of gigantically sized uh, super conglomerate that has like power and like globally, yeah. <laughs> regardless of how efficient that may or may not actually be. And who's going to pay for that anyway? The workers and millions of dead bodies. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's getting a little ahead of me. <laughs> yeah. So, so basically, they they get this big that they become monopolies. They buy up every other company. Not only that, but they buy up um, every step of production there is in whatever it is that they're making, so that they own the mines and the factories and the and the stores and whatever. So and this leads to them, yeah, and this leads to them pretty much having control of every single aspect of the market they control, and this yeah. leads to some pretty bullshit policies that you know aren't really designed to make great products or meet consumer demands, but really just squeeze every single dollar out of us. Or then you have the guys that like I'm going to use a really odd example, but then you have some companies like Nintendo and Konami, which are like uh, Japanese, you know, Japanese super conglomerates, and they ironically enough have every part of the market cornered. But uh, purposely try to keep um, production for their sorts of products low, or not release any sorts of highly demanded products. Surely, solely because they don't feel like they can earn any profit off of it, or they realize they've overbitten everything. But they don't want to lose any sort of power. Like, I mean, you see these. I mean, you see these two companies have the potential to create lots of sort, lots of products that would satisfy consumer demand and all that. But because they've grown to such a large level, they don't feel like they have to cater to the consumer's demands. They just do whatever they feel like, and we get some ridiculous shortages, and there's nothing we can say about it because we can't enter the market because of, like, you know, yeah. how much they're just tied to the higher-ups in Japan and all that bullshit. Yeah. So no matter how much. Yeah. They're either going to lock lock down the market when they feel it's convenient, or they're just going to exploit the market every, every single turn to squeeze us of our pennies. Yeah. So the problem gets worse when monopoly capitalism enters the next phase, which is the highest stage of capitalism, imperialism, when they already have the whole domestic market cornered. The only way they can go is outwards. They have to grow outwards and expand beyond the national borders of the country. And that's why imperialism is the highest stage of capitalism. And that's why capitalism is a source of basically constant wars because there's always going to be more countries that can be more liberal with more resources. Right. But the, problem, but the problem with imperialism is that you eventually run out of other people's countries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get these massive global wars starting up and then you have to maybe break down some countries so you sponsor terrorists to overthrow the regime, i.e. Iraq. Sad but true. So basically, that's uh, that's what uh, the Marxist understanding of imperialism is. It's a it's a it's an economic term that that explains why uh, war is so constant under capitalism, because you know as co- companies get bigger, they have to expand outwards, and that. That means either you know interfering in different different uh, countries, setting up puppet regimes, different types of client regimes, or they have to go to war if if a if a country is uh, recalcitrant and won't uh, toe the demands of certain um, private interests within um, 
the imperialist country, because, of course, as Marxists, we understand that every state has a class interest, and capitalist states have um, are dictatorships of the bourgeoisie. They exist to serve the interests of private capitalists. And sometimes it's kind of a conglomeration of a bunch of different uh, different sectors of the capitalist economy that want to go to war when it comes to something like uh, the Truman Doctrine and the Cold War of um, taking on communist countries. It's kind of just capitalism in general that they're fighting for. Sometimes it can be more specific, though. If you look at uh, Guatemala in 1954, um, that was basically a coup that the CIA, I believe, hatched against the Arbenz government, which was trying to nationalize some land that was owned by United Fruit Company, and it was basically, um, the entire CIA coup was done uh, solely at the behest of the United Fruit Company. So basically, that company had the power uh, at that point to have the government overthrown. And that's that's not the only time that happened. That was this was actually only about a couple of years after the CIA coup in Iran that uh, I've talked about before when they overthrew, yeah, when they threw Mohammed Mossadegh, and, and that was again about just one specific company, the uh, British Petroleum, which was then called the Anglo-Iranian uh, Oil Company. So that's the different ways how imperialism works, and that's why, as Marxists, we have a very uh, economic understanding of imperialism. It's the the highest monopoly stage of capitalism. Right. Uh, Dan, um, what's your anarchist take on it? Dan? Um... I guess it's not a big difference in the understanding of how imperialism works because, of course, yes, it's capitalism that, you know, is is the cause of imperialism because, you know, as you said, imperialism is caused by profits. But um, it's also just in general because, like, if you want to go even before capitalism, all wars started out basically with a state trying to retain its own power. Um, from really any any anybody else, um, you know, because like if you want to go back to, like to the Roman Empire or just like a, or even feudalism, um, it's always about e- either trying to gain more power for the state to grow um, and be even more prosperous, which I guess is, is is profits. But you know, if we're talking about before capitalism, that's not totally the case. Um, as well as like you know, basically feudal families are just like uh, just kind of a, the superiority complex of leaders uh, going to countries because you know obviously they think they're better and they think the others are backwards and they're the ones who are proper to rule them to make them more civilized and, and stuff like that um, even though I'd say that's more of a, of a symptom than does, uh, than does the main cause but um, as, as far as I know if, uh, in, in anarchist circles I'm sure it's, it might be more complicated and I just don't know but uh, it's just, it's pretty similar, so yeah. that 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 would be the conclusion, the anarchist conclusion. Yeah. Right. So pretty much the same as the Marxist and maybe even Leninist one. I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. It's it's very uh, it's it crosses over in that Venn diagram of Marxism and anarchism. Right. 
So one of the one of the consequences of the Marxist understanding of imperialism and what's um, interesting about it is that um, uh, the debate isn't really over about how to apply it, and it, it's one of the one of the more hotly debated uh, issues with. Than the far left today within uh, Marxism is uh, which countries are imperialist right now uh, because you know we can we can all agree on uh, the United States and Western allies but um, it's a it's a pretty big source of disagreement when it comes to something like Syria uh, because in Syria we everyone can pretty much agree that the United States is uh, an imperialist intervener. But then we're um, then there's the question of Russia. Is Russia imperialist? Uh, this is an interesting question because um, Russia is new to the scene of uh, capitalist countries that are influencing their um, influencing other countries on the global stage. Um, uh, to be sure, Russia is a capitalist country. Um, since the early 90s, uh, they they do have more state-owned enterprises than normal capitalist countries, but obviously um, it is very much a dictatorship of capital, dictatorship of the bourgeoisie. It's a capitalist country. The Putin government is a socialist government in any way. But um, that doesn't necessarily mean that just because it's a capitalist country that's intervening in another country for its own benefit that that makes it imperialist because the way as i said the way how we apply the marxist concept of, of imperialism is it's the monopoly stage of capitalism so they would have to be doing it in order to um, you know expand the market for their own russian companies so this is and i'm not saying um, which side of it I lie on. I, I know it is uh, pretty hotly debated, um, but uh, just letting people know that um, so they're aware. This, this is one of the bi uh, bigger uh, debates that's going on right now within Marxism: is Russia imperialist? Is China imperialist? For me, um, I'm going to say this about Russia. Um, it's like. They, I feel like Putin wants to be an imperialist, but he doesn't have the resources to be an imperialist. So what he's doing is that he's going, is he's trying to reconnect with old Soviet allies that are opposed to American imperialist countries, and he's trying to influence them, but he cannot influence them in the same way the United States can. So it's like, yeah. he's a, I'm going to describe him as a wannabe who's trying to play the game, which is pretty much some sort yeah. of Soviet Russia. Um, China, I'm guessing, is more traditionally imperialist as of now, but um, not as much because America has pretty much bought out the market for nations to exploit. It's no secret that the FSA at this point, even if they started as legitimate opposition deck, now they're just uh, an army of interests at this point. Um, yeah. Obviously, the Assad regime is an army of interest for Russia, but again, Russia does not have the exact kind of power to project a global empire, so because of the current yeah. state it's in. So, like, I'm pretty sure Assad would be fighting back rebels uh, without any sort of Russian interference. And then you have the Kurds, which are, like, representing global interests, because everyone except for Turkey and the Gulf wants the Kurds to win. Yeah. 
because they're seen as yeah. a moral force. And because the Kurds and Rojava and communists, I'm inclined to agree. Now, we all, we also have um, the government in Iraq, which is pretty much uh, just trying to get up. It's like suspicious of the West once more, and it's actually turning to its old enemy, Iran, for assistance, and maybe even Russia. Um, if I had to classify the Iraqi government as something, it's like, in, in the whole grand stage of imperialism, you have countries like Iraq, Armenia, and all that stuff. Like, they have what I'm guessing are, like, you know, capitalistic governments and all that, but, like, not to, but they have no chance of ever being imperialist or ever, or any chance of any, of projecting any power in a realistic way. So, like, I'm guessing those are just states for the sake of being states. Right. If, uh, if, that sounds, there's, if that sounds correct to you guys. Well, yeah, there's capitalist states, but they're not at the imperialist stage yet. Yeah, or they might never even have a chance to be an imperialist state because of the conditions they're in, much to yeah. the oligarch's displeasure. <laughs> they're more victims of imperialism. Right. What what do you call the with the conflict in uh, Ukraine then? Like, you wouldn't call that imperialist? That's another big one. So it's definitely imperialist on the side of the U.S. because the U.S. wants um, all Europe in general wants Ukraine on their side um, because they probably want to expand their markets into Ukraine. Um, they probably think that getting Ukraine into the EU would be good for that. Um, and with Russia, yeah, I mean, it, a lot of it is uh, the economic interests of Russia keeping Ukraine within its sphere. So certainly they were opportunistic when they um, called for the, uh, the referendum in, uh, what do we call it, Crimea, to annex Crimea over to Russia. But um, to be honest, it's like... Um, as, as much as it was in Russia's best interest, um, the fact that it was a referendum, like people in the West don't stop to consider, is it maybe in Crimean people's best interest too? I mean, unless there's doubts about the legitimacy of the referendum, it seems they actually did want to go over to Russia, and I kind of don't blame them. I mean, you want to live in a country where the, the neo-Nazis are in part of the ruling uh cabinet after as a result of a coup that was backed by the u.s yeah it always amuses me when like i see slavic neo-nazis because i'm like you do know that you would have been gassed for having imperial genes right yeah. if you want to be a nationalist at least honor your grandpas properly yeah that's true also, of course they were the sons of collaborators in that case they deserve yeah. to jump off a cliff yeah stepan bandera worshippers yeah in Armenia, we have something some, similar with the Gardar and Neza supporters, but like Neza, like was a I wouldn't even call him so much as a neo-Nazi, so much as he was a weird opportunist that tried to get anyone to advance a so-called Armenian interest, and that included starting an Armenian legion in the Wehrmacht, despite the fact that said Wehrmacht legion was made up entirely of prisoners who clearly didn't want to be there, and surprise, surprise, were ineffective because they kept fleeing and freeing Jews rather than following orders, and just linking up with the Red Army again when they could. Well, and Neza was um, imprisoned, and like, He's like I would again I would describe him as a Nazi and then he just started writing letters to Stalin and deplored Armenian interests and all that. And like but then you have this like group of like 
uh, like they're few in number, but you have these Armenians that think that Neza was some sort of like hero and all that, and that the Armenish legion of the Wehrmacht was like this freedom fighting force, despite the fact, again, it was a POW battalion with extremely high desertion rates and was completely unreliable as a unit for like blatantly obvious reasons because they knew they would have gotten like genocided again once the war ended if the war were to end in a Nazi victory but like you know this is what happens when you're illiterate with history yeah <laughs> weird oh yeah this obviously of course this leads into the misuse of symbols like for example what really pisses me off is that the Ukrainian forces use red and black like the Maknos and the and like the band like the free territories of Ukraine flag yeah that's terrible <laughs> for themselves I'm just like you guys they yeah they really they really don't get it it's kind of like if, if rednecks here use like the CCP flag to represent <laughs> like their rebellious spirit wouldn't have the actual rednecks been accurate to that yeah <laughs> like the yeah the OG and yeah actually it's funny the rednecks have been appropriated by reactionaries from their original roots oh yeah yeah true when will actually, it end when will it end actually you know I saw a really uh, brazen picture of the neo-nazi militias in Ukraine taking their picture with US armed forces and they actually had the Schutzstaffel logo on the background you know, the SS. Oh, fuck, really? Yeah, they actually had it. With U.S. forces? Yeah, I believe it was with U.S. forces. I'll, I'll look it up. Oh, man. We, should, we need to get yeah, on these guys are not red-handed. And <laughs> you, you know, if, if Russia did something like that, you know, it would be all over the news, but because it was the U.S., they're, they're never going to cover shit like that. Oh, right. no. RT will, though. Yeah. But he will, of course. Or he will do anything in Russia's interests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that that brings us to the the war in East Donbass, of course. Um, in terms of that, it's like, um, yeah. I, I, again, Russia obviously wants um, Ukraine to be in uh, Russia's economic sphere of influ- influence, but at the same time. I don't blame them for helping their fellow Russian people who live in Ukraine who who don't want to be part of this new, uh, you know, fascist collaborating coup government of Kiev. Um, yeah, I think it would actually be in Russia's burden to accept like a whole swath, like a whole source yeah. of people and all that. Like it would be definitely be furthering their power, which could make me, which would make me understand why. Like why they would say that all these rebels are like Russian back. Like some of them most likely are and all that, but like they're gonna like in those circumstances they're gonna want to revolt anyway. Yeah. What about like in Latin America and South America? Anything anything new there? Um, well, I, the U.S. is probably still interfering in uh, uh, Venezuela, of course. You, you know what's been going on there, right? Since Chavez came to power, they've attempted to overthrow him in two coups, uh, one of which was successful for like a day, and then he came back. Uh, the last one was just last year, which they're still denying. Um, and, uh, you know, the, they're heavily supporting the opposition. Um, now they're going on about how um, 
the Venezuelan government ruled that the last uh, presidential recall uh, petition was um, irregular and, and that they're not going to have the presidential recall referendum that the opposition has been trying to force to get um, Maduro out since uh, the, the Socialist Party in, in Venezuela lost the legislature uh, just uh, last year, I believe, to the right opposition. And so what they're doing now is they're trying to uh, force a presidential recall to get Maduro out so that um, the, you know, the Bolivarian Chavistas lose power uh, in the executive as well so that the right opposition could completely take over the country. So they tried to get out get enough signatures for a petition or however it works to do a, a presidential recall referendum. But the government ruled that uh, it was irregular, that there was names on there of, of people that were dead or something like something like that. So, and you can you can imagine how the the, the U.S. media covered it. It was basically, the, I think the New York Times literally said, "Democracy is over in Venezuela. Rest in peace, democracy. They're they're not free now." And um, and, damn, well, and. and, and and so I turned to Telesur because obviously they're going to have another. You ever you ever watch Telesur or read, no. read from that website? It's basically yeah. It's basically a media outlet that's funded by all the leftist governments in Latin America. Right. So anytime you want a different perspective on what's going on in the Americas, you can watch Telesur. Sponsored by um, Venezuela, Cuba, Ecuador, Nicaragua, Uruguay, yeah. Bolivia. Hmm. Argen- yeah, and cool. and it used to be sponsored by Argentina as well, which is interesting. Yeah. So basically, they they uh, explained that uh, well, well, they pointed out some things that I didn't even think of. That obviously the U.S. isn't going to point out. Number one, that there's like pretty much no other country in the world where you actually can have a presidential recall vote. So it's kind of funny how they're 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 saying that they're not going to allow it this one time. That that means that democracy is over in Venezuela. <laughs> and it's second that they actually have had one before under Chavez, and I believe the right opposition lost it. Hmm. But right. but you know this time. Well, obviously the stakes are higher this time since they already left, left the legislature. They're just clinging to power from the executive. But uh, the fact that um, they claim that it was an irregular vote, that uh, they didn't actually get enough uh, names on the petition, that uh, that means that democracy is over in Venezuela. <laughs> you know, as if this is some, as, as if, you know, uh, Maduro pulled off a coup for himself. Right. You know, it's just ridiculous. Hmm. Although, like, Erdogan might have pulled a coup in him on himself, so I could see maybe where they were coming from, but, yeah. Anyways, that's, that's just some of the sabotage and intervention that uh, has been going on in Venezuela. Uh, so I think that's right. another I, I can I can just end it. Um, yeah. <laughs> thanks for listening. Uh, hope you enjoyed our talk on imperialism. Um, we got a whole bunch of projects going on. I'm making an audio play. We still got uh, F is still making videos and uh, Sergio. I'm posting more Reddit. What are you doing again? More Reddit content. More Reddit. 
posting yeah, Reddit. Yeah, I think I'm the most as, active as we all on Reddit, do. Uh, compared to YouTube guys. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a competition or anything. I'm just saying I'm winning. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> all right. Um, so, yeah, thanks for watching, and uh, we'll see you next time. Yep. Bye. Bye.